Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here to church this morning as we come together as God's people and praise his holy name. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. Seek your kingdom first. 
Your kindness leads us to repentance. Your goodness draws us to your side. Your mercy calls us to be like you. Your favor is our delight. Every day we'll awaken our praise and pour out a song from our hearts. You are good. You are good. You are
Father, you are good. Your mercy is indeed forever. We've come together today to acknowledge who you are. To offer our lives to you. And to let you speak into our hearts. We pray that you will help us to be aware of your presence here in our worship. And we thank you for your grace upon us today. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. It is great to see you as uh, we gather for worship today and uh, pray for God's grace and blessings on each of us this morning. Just a couple of things I want to highlight in your bulletin. We are pleased to welcome today uh, Joey Jennings, our district superintendent, and he will be preaching this morning. He oversees uh, our 33 churches in western New York, and we're privileged to have him here with us this morning. Uh, Also, uh, next Sunday, worship services at 8.30 and 11.00. And uh, also there are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. And I want to pray uh, for uh, the family of Roy Chapman, who was uh, tragically killed in an accident earlier this week. And also for uh, Pastor Kevin's father, who was hospitalized uh, over the last couple of days and is still in the hospital. I know he would appreciate our prayers, as well as other concerns and burdens on our hearts and minds. We are uh, pleased to welcome uh, Alan Shea this morning. He and Sherry have been supported by our church for a number of years, their ministry in Liberia, and uh, they're home for a little while, and he's going to share just a moment about their ministry. Good morning. Our uh, first term, two-year term in Liberia has been busy and under construction. Um, our first, the first major construction project that I've been involved in has been a new studio for Radio ELWA, and uh, I've had some strategic help in uh, designing, doing the work and design work, uh, layouts and all that. Um, this is actually the third studio building at ELWA. The original building was destroyed in the war in 1990. The uh, temporary studio that was built in 1992, uh, was destroyed in a fire in 2011, just before we arrived in 2012. And this building is, was, uh, got its metal roof just a couple days after we left in early April. So it has roof, windows, and doors, and it's waiting for us to get back, Lord willing, end of October, to start on the inside. And... Um, put things in it and move in and start producing radio programs again. Another restoration project that I was involved in recently was putting up a new shortwave antenna um, to get 
shortwave broadcast back to covering all of Liberia so that uh, people can hear God's good news and get instruction in God's word. And that was a really welcome piece of uh, to hear to hear reports of. The biggest construction project I've only been peripherally involved in is the new hospital that Samaritan's Purse is building for ELWA, and that's due to open next March. The part that I've been involved in the most is that hospitals need electricity, and Liberia has been without electricity since the war in 1990, uh, which destroyed the hydroelectric dam that produced most of the electricity for the country, which you can see is entirely stripped. So we've been generating all of our electricity for 24 hours a day with generators. And one of the things that hospitals use is lots of electricity. So I've been working on, um, on um, what that, can you go back there, what that's going to require and what it's going to need, as well as switching to 60, from 60 hertz to 50 hertz and uh, upgrading the power control system for better reliability. We've also been doing some construction work at home. We needed to make more room, make the house, which is over 50 years old, a little more suitable for boys and uh, our family. And um, one of the first things we did after moving some walls around was to convert the old garage into a kitchen while we worked on the rest of the house and then into a classroom. so that Sherry can give, homeschool our boys, Josiah and Nathaniel. What we were doing in the rest of the house was working on the tile, uh, replacing the floors. The boys had lots of fun with that, and they have lots of fun with the finished product too. To round it all out, we had to replace our septic tank. Sherry got very tired of all the cockroaches coming in the house and a new garage to keep the worst of the salt spray off of our air, off of our car, out of the air. (laughs) And we're very thankful to be done with that construction. Our biggest and longest construction project is our kids, who also like to be involved in construction work. Josiah loves to build tall and big, and Nathaniel loves to fix things with his tools. And he helps with the big construction projects, too. And to finish out our family construction project was Zachary, who was born a year ago last week. He's growing up fast, and his brothers love him dearly. Our boys are constructing brotherly love and friendship with the neighbors. We don't know what our next term will be like, Oh, and constructing fun. But I hope it's a little less exciting. A couple of things you can pray for us. We do need some additional support. We now have to buy five airplane tickets, and that gets more expensive. Um, Because we generate all our own electricity, it's some of the highest electricity cost in the world. It's over six times what you pay here. So that's... Uh, been an extra expense that we 
didn't quite anticipate all of. And you can pray about the completion of all these projects, this new studio over the next couple of years, the new hospital, and power system upgrade. And you can pray for us to have wisdom as parents in raising our children who will love the Lord and that we would have patience and grace in our witness in Liberia. Thank you for all your prayers and your support for us. Thanks, Alan. And uh, we will be in prayer and uh, we'll continue to pray for them and their transition time. We are uh, blessed so many, in so many ways by uh, God. And this morning we have the opportunity to give back to him as the ushers come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Thieves will come confess. 
As we move into a time of prayer, there are different uh, physical ways in which we pray. And sometimes it, it just seems the most appropriate way to pray is kneeling. And uh, if you would like to do that, the altar is open as we pray together. Please come and join me. Father, this morning we gather in this place because of who you are and because of what you've done in our lives and because of the promise of your Holy Spirit with us. Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, this day when we, we commemorate the coming of the Holy Spirit on the disciples and your followers, The day when the church is born, we celebrate who you are and what you have done. Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your spirit and the gift of the church. And we pray that in this place, that your church would would stand tall for you would be the visible presence of your Spirit in us and with us, and that we would bear witness to your grace throughout this community, the wider communities, and the whole world. Father, we thank you that in the church we are bound together through your Spirit, through the grace of Christ. And as we gather this morning, there are needs and burdens that we represent. And we lay them at your feet in our prayers. Father, we pray today for the family of Roy Chapman and for others who are grieving. And we ask for your mercy in their lives. Comfort them in your peace, in your spirit. Help them. Father, we pray for all who are wrestling with the physical ailments and struggles that come to us in these bodies. We pray for Pastor Kevin's father, for Megan Stottlemyer and Isla Shea, for Bev Rett and Edna Howard, for Linda Roth and Micah Christensen, for Bill Roski and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler and for others who are on our minds and hearts this morning. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who face the threat of persecution, their lives in danger, their ability to earn a living and take care of their family threatened freedom to worship taken away. Father, we pray for them 
and ask for your mercy, your strength, your help. Father, we pray for um, Alan and Sherry and their ministry in Liberia. We pray that you will continue to bless them and use them in in the support ministry they give and, and ask that you would continue to help them in this ministry. Give them grace as they raise their necessary funds to go back as quickly as possible and to re-engage in the work there. Father, we pray today for the ministry of Ambassadors Football, for John Ortlip and this ministry he directs as they move into the, the ministry during the World Cup. As the eyes of so much of the world is on Brazil during this time, we pray that you will do a miraculous work of your spirit, that this will be an opportunity for people to hear the gospel that they might not have otherwise. Pour out your spirit on this ministry in this place. Father, we do pray for our district, for our superintendent, for the leaders of our district, for the upcoming conference. We pray that you would pour out your spirit in a miraculous way on all that happens in the churches And in the ministry that we are as a district, as a whole. Continue to unite us together in the spirit of Christ. That together we will be your church, your body, in the places you've called us in western New York. Father, we thank you for this church. We pray that you will continue to use us and minister in us and through us this day and the days ahead. And we pray all of this in the name and grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the scripture reader reading, children may dis- be dismissed for children's church and junior church. Um, the scripture is 1 John 1, 1 through 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. 
God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
Good morning. It's great to be able to be with you this morning and just to have the privilege of, of bringing the Word of God to you. And before, before I do that, let me just first of all just say what a privilege it is just to, to work with Pastor Wes and Cindy. You, you know this. I've, I've talked to many of you and the board, and you recognize you have a great leader uh, leading you. And for the, the faithfulness that both Wes and Cindy have shown for 19 years, 18 years, and uh, just uh, as I think, of, think through that, especially the challenges of pastoring a college church. I mean, you don't think of yourselves as maybe that way, but there's some, some special challenges. And I imagine even today, the church is quite different than it was in the 90s when he came to, to, to be the pastor here. But Wes has shown such a, a grace and sensitivity to pastor the church in each season that you go through. And just talking to him over the last year, I know this has been probably a very difficult season. There's been quite a few deaths and challenges that uh, just need an extra grace. And I so appreciate Wes's emphasis on prayer and just leading the congregation to, to seek God for the challenges that you are going through. And God is blessing. And so... Uh, just a joy to, to be able to be here with Wes. And I mean, also just before I get started, uh, congratulate John Cole, Pastor John, on his master's degree. I saw uh, he'd finished all the work, and so applaud him for that. And just so excited to see again what God is doing in his life. As uh, Pastor Wes said, we I want to give you a little bit of introduction on what the district is. As I, as I speak at different churches, I don't assume that you know what the Western New York district is. We are actually 34 churches, mentioned 33 is in the bulletin. Uh, We have a new church that's just coming as an affiliate church in Machias. Actually, we'll be welcoming them into our district uh, in two weeks at our district conference. So we're excited to see what God is doing. The uh, district, I, I would summarize it, if I could simplify it to its most basic elements, is we're to do three things. We're to to help cultivate healthy pastors. And we do that in a variety of ways, but I believe as our pastors are healthy and growing in the Lord and sensitive to what God wants for them and for their churches, and that will establish healthy churches. And healthy churches are gonna make an impact not only in the lives of each other, but in their community and, and grow and reach new people for Christ. And I believe that healthy churches will plant other churches and start new works. And it's exciting to see some, some new works over the last several years. Grace Community, I was actually down in the west side of Buffalo last night and see what Pastor Cap and Barb Farrow, that was probably six or seven years ago. And, uh, and then The Vine with Christopher Baldwin started about seven years ago. Uh, more recently, uh, Home City Wesleyan Church was started by David Shemenda two years ago. And a new project we're, we're starting, we'll be starting in the fall is South Creek is a satellite campus that the Westland Church of Hamburg is starting. They've got property about 15 minutes south of, of Hamburg that they'll be starting a, a, a satellite campus. We also will be announcing in a couple of weeks, it just uh, made come out public maybe two weeks ago when Steve, Pastor Steve and Pastor Ruth Strand uh, resigned the church in uh, Falconer near Jamestown. And we'll be going really as district missionaries to the inner city of Buffalo. They're going to be working with ethnic groups. There's a variety of refugee communities, particularly on the west side, but throughout Buffalo. And so their focus is going to be going in, working with Cap and Barb Farrow at uh, Grace Community to some extent. But over time, I see 
more and more of their work being to, to strengthen and cultivate new churches, strengthen churches that are there, cultivate new churches among some of the refugee communities in Buffalo. Such a great need. Probably ten to 15,000 refugees have come into Buffalo in the last, in the last eight to ten years. And so great need, uh, really a mission work in our own backyard. And so Steve and Ruth Strand, I believe, are God's people to, to initiate that and to really cultivate that, that project for our district. So we're just excited and eager to see what God is, is going to do there. The message I have for you is entitled The Fellowship of Grace. As I've been really seeking what God would want to say to the churches and speaking at, at different churches. Couple, about a month ago, we celebrated Easter. Actually, it's 50 days ago because this is Pentecost Sunday. But the weekend of, of Passover and Easter was the time when Jesus died on the cross, came back to life. And we celebrated that not just because it was one man that, that came back to life. As miraculous as that would have been, we would have been talking about it, would have been in the, all the history books that there was a man that was dead for three days and came back to life. But the reason why we celebrate Easter the way we do in the church is because through Christ, we all have life. It's not just a historical fact that one man came back to life. It's that that can apply to every person that believes in him. That your life can be dramatically changed. Paul says in Colossians, since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We live in a post-Easter mindset where we focus on the things, that, the things of God, the, the spiritual matters and the life that we have in him. And where earthly matters are not as important as the things of God. Paul said to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. When Christ comes into our hearts, we are radically changed. It's not like we just added a little bit to our life. We, we add in another layer. I was a good person. Now I'm a good religious person. That's, that's not what Christianity is about. It's about completely pouring ourselves out of that old, corrupt, sinful life and having this new, eternal life, this new life in Christ that we live in. Let me ask you to think how this has impacted you. The question I want to ask is how has your life changed since Easter? And I'm not talking about Easter of 2014, but your Easter. Since Christ came alive in you, and, and I know we don't have test time for a testimony from a lot of here, but let me ask you just a sort of popcorn testimony is what we call it in North Carolina. Just within one breath, how is your life different now than it was before Christ? How has it changed? Fuller. Worry less. Purposeful. Hope. Love. Forgiveness. Joy. Peace and joy. 
Any others? I've asked this question, and really it's the process of God changing us. It's the process of being made Christ-like or sanctification. What is it that God is doing in us? And I've asked this question at different churches, and, and there tends to be two general type of responses, if I could categorize them. One is a, a change in our relationship with God. We're no longer under condemnation. We have that peace. We have that forgiveness. We have that, that joy that comes because we have a relationship with, with our creator that we, we were created to have. And if, if that is not there, then something is, is terribly missing and, and amiss and we, we go hungering for other things to fill it. But we have a relationship with God that's restored. Another is just how that changes sort of, let me call it internal. The first is sort of a vertical relationship with God. Those more internal. My life is, is more purpose. I, I know what I'm doing. I, I feel better. I, and and we, we put it in other terms, but in a sense we're saying I, I like what's, what I feel like as a Christian. And God is healing some of the brokenness in, in my own heart and healing how, how I feel. And there's some hint of this, but what, what I tend to find is we, we miss out on what I think is a third part of that sanctifying process, and that is the vertical relationships. How do we interact differently with those around us? We, we certainly understand our relationship with God has changed. But if you look at this passage in 1 John that was read uh, earlier in the service, we see the, the tremendous impact that Christ has on how we relate to others. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 1. And let's follow along as I read verses 5 through 7. This is just a part of what was read earlier. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As I first was looking at this, or when I was several months ago, when I first looked at this, and it it just came to me, we think of the impact of Christ so much on that blood of Jesus forgiving us from all sin, cleansing us from all sin. But John lists that, that key change, we have fellowship with one another. Now, throughout the book of 1 John, you see two key themes, two key ideas that we need to, to understand. One is walking in the light versus walking in the darkness. John, John uses that, that image quite often, the light being in, in holiness or in, in the truth that is revealed and in, in, in the knowledge of who God is and in faith. The darkness being in sin or in, in ignorance of, of the truth, in rebellion. You're either walking in the darkness or you're walking in the light. As John portrays this, you're, you're one or the other. You're not sort of in a shady in-between spot. You are, you are doing one or the other. The second main concept is, is that of fellowship, being in relationship with God and being relationship with others. And, and you see that mentioned in several places in First John. But it, it, both we have a new relationship with God, which he says we have a fellowship with God, and a relationship with, with others who are in Christ, 
we have fellowship with one another. And so John connects this, this idea of light and fellowship with this concept. He says walking in the light is equal to both having fellowship with God and being in fellowship with one another. And as John portrays it, you cannot have one or the other. It has to be both. That is what walking in the light means. John says this in different ways. He, he says it in sort of the converse way. If you look down, he says that if we are walking in darkness, that means you have a brokenness with God. Or if you are in a broken relationship with God, then you are walking in darkness. First John 1, 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So if, you, if you're walking in a way that you don't, you're not in obedience. You're not in, 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 in a relationship with God. You're, you're sort of trying to hide. And the Bible says that, I mean, we, we think, well, why wouldn't everyone like light and the truth and the holiness? Sometimes our, our deeds are, are wicked, the Bible says. And we would just as soon no one know what we're doing. We'd just as soon live in the dark. And God is saying that, that living in the darkness, that living in that shadow of God's light is a broken relationship with God. That we, we must be in relationship. We must be in that truth. Now, this does not mean that we cannot sin, but you cannot be continuously in sin. And this is saying if, if, you are, if you're pretending to be in fellowship with God, if you're going around claiming to be a Christian, you're going to church on Sunday, but but secretly, your life is not submitted to God, then, then you're lying. You're not living out the truth, he says. Now, that does not mean that we, we never sin. Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We, we all mess up. We all sin. But that doesn't break the relationship because this, the, the light simply points out our sin and, and we are aware of it and we, we are able to deal with it. But we don't go hide under some, some dark corner so that we can, so no one can see it. We don't justify our sin and say, well, it's not really a sin. It's, it's just a new way of living. That is, that is ignoring the light. And so John says in verse 9 that once we sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sins. There's still that relationship. We don't have to be perfect to be in relationship with God. We simply have to be walking in the light. We have to be in, in, in a relationship that when we do mess up, we go to our father and say, God, I blew it again. Help me. Forgive me. And not only is there forgiveness, which is freely given from merciful father, but there's that, that help, that purifying. That cleansing from even those parts of our heart that are hard to bring into submission to God. The Holy Spirit deals. The Holy Spirit cleanses. The Holy Spirit gives that, that victory, that success in their battle against sin. Just as darkness comes from brokenness in our relationship with God, John says that the darkness is also in brokenness in our relationship with each other. Go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, and you see anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. 
In other words, I, th- I think you can say, well, I have a great relationship with God and, and sort of in the internal and, and me and God are great. We're, we're doing great, but, but you're having a hard time and get along with other people. You're in darkness. That's what John is saying. We may not hate someone, but you might be withholding forgiveness, gossiping, jealousy. And yet in, in the same way, the emphasis is on healing the wound. It's not that we have to be perfect with each other. We can't be. If that were our standard, then, then we, we would all be in brokenness. But God calls us to forgive. God calls us to seek forgiveness. God calls us to live in a relationship with one another that, that can overcome wounds. Our relationship with God is intertwined with our relationship with others here on earth, particularly within the body of believers. And so we see it must be both. And you go back to verse seven, chapter 1, verse 7, where John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. If, to walk in the light means both having fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now the word John uses for fellowship, this is a Greek word, Koinonia, I learned Greek here in this campus, so I'll, I'll use some Greek in my message this morning. Koinonia, you've heard it. We, we use that in different places. There's a koinonia service, and we often hear it translated fellowship. I actually prefer the translation partnership. It means that which we share together, that which is common between two bodies that are, are joined together, two parties that are joined together. It is the bond that connects you and me. It is that which holds believers together. That which is in a bond between us and God is that, that koinonia. When Paul talks to the, uh, writes to the church in Philippi, he's, he's thanking God for the church's partnership in the gospel. Very, verse, verse 3, in my, all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. We as a church are on a mission to make disciples, to be the light in our society that is in desperate darkness. God doesn't call us, each of us, to individually go out and and change the world by ourselves. We are called to work cooperatively. We are partnering together, not only believers in this, but believers throughout the world for what God is, is wanting the church, his body, to accomplish And we must have this partnership to accomplish it. On the day of Pentecost, we see that the church was dramatically changed. I believe that when the Holy Spirit came upon the group of believers, it really started something that that we call the church. Before then, it was just a bunch of people who were devoted to following Jesus Christ, who loved him, who were willing, at least they claimed to be willing to die for him. But on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in and bound them together. And you see them operating differently because of the Holy Spirit in them. And if you look to chapter, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, Luke describes the church as committed and devoted to four things. The apostles' teaching, 
to the fellowship, the koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This, this fellowship that he's saying is so critical, he compares it to really the apostles' authority, to the sacraments, to prayer, and koinonia. Now, so it's, when, we, when we think of fellowship, sometimes we think of the meal that we would, if you grew up in church, we'd have a meal after Sunday, maybe a potluck or something periodically, and we call it a fellowship meal. We often would have a fellowship hall or, or some, and it, it tended to be used in a word just to describe sort of a light reception or a meal together. But let me suggest that the word means so much deeper of a connection than just sort of talking about small talk with, with others that have a common faith. It is sharing your life together. It is pouring yourselves into each other and being willing to give and do whatever it takes. And it's, it's because we have the bond of the Holy Spirit in us. It's because we are connected by the common element of grace. The truth that we share, the same grace with each other, changes the very nature of our relationship. Grace is that undeserved love that God shows to us. Nothing we can do to deserve it. It's not that you're living a good enough life that God finally loves you. Grace is unmerited. And it shapes the way we view ourselves. We can talk about treating people differently, but I believe we need to change the posture of self-focus and no longer just doing what is good for us and change it to a sacrificial love. We need to let God get under the hood of our car and tinker with our engine and change the things that are messing our relationships up. And I think to do that, we need to change the very way we view ourselves. We cannot think of ourselves the way culture is telling us to think of ourselves and continue to live a sacrificial life. In a sense, we are, we are being bombarded with a secular message that, that we as humans are nothing more than evolved creatures. That through the process of evolution and just survival of the fittest, we came to be who we are. And if that is the case, then, then, then we have become successful in the evolutionary process by putting down others and devouring anyone that, that threatened us and any other species or any other parts of our species that, that would sort of keep us from thriving and multiplying. And we just sort of got to be who we are by putting everyone else around us down. And it's a survival of the fittest. You're out for number one, that's yourself, and, and no one else really matters. You're just going to look out for, for me. And if we view ourselves from that secular mindset, then it's, it's very hard to, to, to sort of superimpose manners over that and say, well, we're going to act civilized, but underneath it, we really think, I'm just trying to get as much as I can and, and try to get the most toys and be as successful as I can before I die. And that's this very secular mindset. But you go to the word of God and it, it changes the very way we think of ourselves. We were created in God's image. And part of that creation in the image of God is that we are created to be in relationship. I believe God was in relationship before any of the creation was there because we see the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in, in unity and relationship before the beginning of the world. And then when he created humans, there, was, there was, it seems to be a motivation on God's part to be in relationship with creatures that could choose to be in relationship with him. 
And that was, he, he, he had a great value on that, that us choosing to love him. And a creation was good, but he said, but with man, it's not good that man should be alone. So we created a woman. And there was this, we were intended to be in relationship. And, and through that, the human race developed. But early on, there was sin. There's that rejection of God. There was, there's the disobedience and, and darkness. Throughout salvation history and skipping many centuries here, but God saw that the only way for us to be reconciled was through the sending of his son, perfect human being to die for you and for me. And so we who were without hope, who had no hope of anything other than separation from God for eternity, now had grace shown to us and new life that now through Christ, if we believe in him, if we come into this relationship and walk in the light, we have everlasting life. Changes our destiny radically. But we also realize it's nothing that we did deserve to deserve it. Now if that is how I stand before God and that's how you stand before God, that radically changes how we relate to each other. We have that common destiny. We have that common experience. I can't somehow say, well, I'm going to brag because of something I've done or something I've accomplished. I realize that just as you are, without Christ, I would be nothing. doesn't matter how much educational and intellectual power I have or athletic ability I have or any other, how much money I have. In God's grace, that is all flattened and we come to each other. You are made in the image of God. You are a child saved by grace. That is the bond of our relationship. That is the fellowship of grace. So God calls us to live and treat each other radically different. God calls us to respond to this grace with, with a life of surrender. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. And the first part of Romans is Paul laying out the, the plan of, of grace. And then there's a transition in chapter 12 where he says, if this is the case, then this is how you should live. So in verse 1 he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is the proper way to respond to the incredible grace that we have received is to take our life and give it. If it were that God would ask of us to die in exchange for this incredible gift to actually end our physical life, that would have been a a price worth paying. But that's not what he asks. He says, I want you to get on the altar, give me everything that is yours, and then continue living. But under that obedience to God under that submission to his leadership and so our life is given is is sacrificed it's no longer lived for myself it's lived for God it's lived for others as he calls us to live and love sacrificially and so God is is calling us in response to this incredible grace to treat each other no longer I'm going to do for you whatever would make me feel good 
or I'll love those who can love me back. Jesus talked about not inviting someone to dinner that you know that next Friday night will invite you to dinner. Or I'm not gonna give you some money. Maybe you need a loan. I'll loan you some money. But, but when, I'm, when I'm in need, you'll take care of me. Or in another way, you'll, you'll pay it back. God says give simply because the other person needs to be given. And you have. And God says give to those in need. And so this partnership becomes an incredible way in which believers can, can just pour themselves into this body and make it the effective community that God is calling us to be. We're called to love. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to, to operate out of this posture of giving. Now we can apply this to every relationship we have. But let me just sort of, as, as I wrap this up, apply, apply it to three particular relationships just to get us thinking. First is in marriage. I know not all of you are married, but let me think through this relationship because I believe this, this issue of sacrifice must start at home. This issue of God sanctifying us, really the, the marriage becomes that, that laboratory for God to sanctify us and in those that we are closest with to, to live in the sacrificial way. When two people enter into marriage, they, they share everything. They have what's been called the koinonia of life. Everything that's mine is Mary Beth's. And everything that's Mary Beth is mine. We, we don't have different checking accounts. We don't have, well, she has a car that she calls hers and I have a car that I call mine. But basically, she can drive my car anytime she wants and I can drive her car. And it, it's as ours. And it's interesting with, with Hannah, our daughter is getting married and in less than a month now, and, and she's, she's changing the way she views. And so I was at her apartment a couple, couple weeks ago, and she had a, a check from her fiance who had given her to help pay some of the bills, getting ready for the wedding and all. And she said, yeah, Ben loaned me some money. And she looked at me and said, I guess it's not loaned anymore, is it? And it's ours. And it's just a strange relationship when you enter into it where everything that's mine is yours, all that I have is yours. That's koinonia. And when Jesus taught on marriage, he used this passage from Genesis chapter two, which said, uh, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And since the Bible, the Bible writers are trying to say, how do we describe this relationship? Is the most intertwining of, of individuals, they become one. That is that partnership. But it also has to have that love when, when Paul particularly gets into the specifics on how husbands and wives should treat each other. He is talking with some very radical language. Submit to one another. Those that are saying, well, that's, that's not right. I, I have my rights. I'm, I'm, in, I'm my own person. No. There's sense in which you are surrendering that and giving to the other. Wives, love your husbands. Submit to him. Husbands' challenge is even more difficult. Lay down your life for your wife. Treat her as if she were your own body. How can we get this message across that what's good for you is now what's good for me? I'm gonna treat you as if you were me. There's this, this 
fellowship that takes place there that changes the very way in which we think. This is a laboratory not only for a home because you're teaching that to your children and you're loving your children in the same way. It's a laboratory for the church. If you can't love in your home, it's going to be hard to come to church and love with this healthy, sacrificial love. The second relationship, let's apply this to, is the body of of Christ. The congregation, within our congregation. God not only tells us to love each other, we are to partner with each other. Continually seeking each other's best interest. This koinonia, is relationships with, with those in the congregation, makes the congregation an interdependent community. A family working together to support and build each other up. And together, that they can make an impact on their community. Change your image of the church. It's no longer about going to church and saying, how can the church minister to me? It's about every one of you coming to church to say, how can I give? How can I minister to those that are in the body? Several years ago, Mary Beth and I, for our 20th wedding anniversary, took a cruise. Have you ever been on a cruise ship? For me, at least, it was the best vacation. I just, I loved it. And basically, you, you just do nothing all day. They, they give you as much food as you want. They, they make your beds. They do everything. It's just made out. Every, everything on a cruise ship is laid out so that you can just enjoy life and relax and have no worries for however long the cruise is. And sometimes we think the church is something like a cruise ship. That we have a crew, we have a captain, you have a staff, you have people that, that when you come to church, it's going to be just what you like. The music's going to be the kind of music you like, and you're going to go and feel uplifted, you're going to go. But the thing is, the cruise ship just goes in a big circle and comes back to where it started. It really gets nowhere, it does nothing other than maybe refreshes you to come back. That's not the image of the church we ought to have. Instead, the, the church is more like an aircraft carrier. You've probably heard others use this illustration, but the captain submits to a higher authority. But everyone in the church has a job. If you've ever seen some of the documentaries or if you've been on an aircraft carrier, they have a job, they have a different color shirt depending on what their job is. And they're just, they're all have to work together in, in this unity. Everyone willing to, to die for everyone else so that the ship can accomplish its mission. That is what God has called the church to be, to love with this level of love. Essentially, on that day of Pentecost, when uh, I read earlier in chapter 2, but here's some other descriptions of of the early church that I believe God is calling us to as well. Since they were described as having everything in common, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you look in chapter four, it gives a more description of them. Just if, they, if someone had something, that they had property, they'd sell it, bring it to the apostles' feet, and they'd give to someone had need. It was, it was this partnership of everything they had. It was like, nothing I have is reserved. It's all in the pool for everyone. That is the body. We need to be givers, not takers. 
within the church. And lastly, beyond these walls, and I think this church is doing a great job of supporting missions. It's good to hear of the Shays work and other, other ways in which this church, church is supporting those beyond this community. But God has called us to reach out to believers in other lands, other ethnic groups, other denominations, and not to, to say, well, we've got it right and look down on everyone else. We are all saved by grace. And the Houghton Wesleyan Church, the Wesleyan Church is, is just partnering with the work of Jesus Christ in whatever form it may take in whatever country around the world or whatever community in the city of Buffalo. It doesn't matter. We are to be partnering because we cannot accomplish this great task alone. God has called us to such an overwhelming task that if we thought that one church could do it, we would give up or had to do it, we would give up. But as each church does what God has called us to do, he will accomplish his plan. Let me close with a passage. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed. I said earlier that God was in relationship with the Trinity, and this is a prayer. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he's praying for us. My prayer is not for them alone, them in this case being the the 12 disciples. But I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, the one that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. Father, we open up our heart for you to change us, make us more like Christ in that we are givers, that we partner with one another with such love and surrender that you can use us collectively to go into all the world and make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.